All right, open your uh, Bibles to John chapter 4. Typically, we, uh, uh, typically, I would be teaching through a book of the Bible, but we have taken uh, some time uh, in this, the beginning of this new year to look specifically at the topic of worship. And uh, we use the text from John chapter 4, uh, the first 26 verses. Today I'm going to focus on, I'm going to focus on four verses, John chapter 4, verses 21 through 24. If you have not had a chance to listen to the message from last week, Caleb's message, it was powerful, and that's an understatement, and I would encourage you to listen to that uh, and to Take this in as we begin this new year and we focus on our worship. So I want to read to you these uh, four verses, John chapter 4, verses 21 through 24. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that you would, by your Spirit today, by your Holy Spirit, illuminate your Word, open our hearts and our minds, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see. Father, that today as we break open your Word, as we discuss the topic of worship, that Father, your Spirit would open our hearts to receive this Word and our minds to be renewed by this word, that we would be a people transformed by your word to give glory and honor to you as a witness in this world. Father, we ask this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So as we have looked at this, this section of Scripture where Jesus encounters the woman at the well. I want to emphasize again the amazing nature of this encounter that took place at Jacob's well between the Lord of glory and the Samaritan woman. And I want us to realize, I want us to think about that. You know, we can sometimes read the Bible and we read about Jesus doing this and going this place and going that place and and even healing people, and even performing miracles. And, and it's easy for us to, to just think of Jesus just in terms of his humanity. But Jesus is not just a human. He's not just a man. Jesus is, in fact, the Lord of glory. And so it wasn't just a human Jesus. It wasn't just a man that met the woman at the well. And remember, it's not a chance meeting. This was a preordained, this was a divine appointment that God set before the foundation of the world. And the Lord of glory is waiting at the well for this Samaritan woman. The woman had no idea that Jesus was, in fact, the Lord of glory, but he is. She had no idea who was speaking to her, but Jesus confirms this very thing in the conversation. It's recorded for us in Scripture. If you knew who was speaking to you, implying that you have no idea who's speaking to you. Jesus Christ, the, only, the one by whom, for whom, and through whom all things were created. That's what the Scripture teaches us about Jesus. By him, for him, and through him, all things were created. 
the very Lord of glory, the very one we worship, is speaking face to face with a Samaritan woman mired in sin. Think. Think about this. This fornicating Samaritan woman has had five husbands, and the one she has now, the sixth, is not her husband. And now here is Jesus, the seventh and most significant man in her life. He is there to seek her out, to picture for her what a perfect and a true husband is. And that is who we are to him. We are the bride of Christ. He is the groom. We are the bride. We are the body. He is the head. Jesus chose her, this lowly, obscure woman, just as he chose lowly, obscure shepherds to announce the birth of Jesus. He it chooses this lowly, obscure woman to announce the radical change in worship getting ready to take place for Jew and Samaritan, in fact, for the whole world and for the whole created order. I believe it can be difficult to accurately wrap our minds around what Jesus is teaching the woman and the implications that all he is teaching her, all he is declaring to her, the implications that it has for us today. It's very easy, I think, to misinterpret this story and what Jesus is actually doing. And it's not that he's not doing, you know, he's not bringing emotional healing to the woman. It's not that. He is. But it's not just that. He's not just there to point out the woman's sin so she can repent and get saved. He is there to declare something, I think as Caleb said it last week, of cosmic proportion. We have been conditioned to skim the surface more than we have been to dive beyond the surface and into the deep. We feel safer and more comfortable on the surface, but we will never experience all God has for us in the depth if we simply stay where we are comfortable. Church is not a place where you should feel comfortable. Now, I want you all to feel at home here. I want you all to make yourselves at home here. I want this to be your home. But I never, ever want you to feel comfortable here. Because if we're preaching and teaching the scripture, if we're preaching and teaching the gospel, we should all be discomforted. And however uncomfortable you may feel when I'm preaching and teaching to you, just know that I got it before you did. So I've already gone through all the discomfort. I've already had my toes stepped on. I've already had to repent of all of my sin long before I bring the message to you. The surface is much safer for the comfortable idols and the comfortable paradigms we have fashioned for ourselves. We are all guilty of this, often without realizing it, because we are not purposeful in our worship. You should never just show up here and wait to see what's going to happen. You should come here on purpose and with purpose, purposefully entering into worship in spirit and in truth. As we worship the Father in spirit and truth, we cast off our idols and we break down our paradigms. We may embrace them again when we leave here. I may feel great on Sunday morning, but then Monday morning comes. And I'm right back where I was. That happens to all of us. But our consistent, faithful worship wages war. It wages a war that no idol, no paradigm, no stronghold can resist. They will be broken down. This is why our worship is so very important. It is warfare that literally changes us and changes the world around us. Our temptation is to grow weary. This is what the enemy does to us. He knows how to make us weary. 
Our temptation is to grow weary in doing good, but God's promise is if we will not lose heart, we will reap in due season. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say these words, but I've tried that, Pastor, and it doesn't work. We'll try it again. Well, I tried it again, and it still doesn't work. We'll try it again, and try it again, and try it again. Well, I fell down. We'll get back up and start walking again. Well, I fell down again. We'll get back up and start. Well, I'm tired of getting up. It doesn't matter how tired you are. If you will not grow weary in doing good, you will reap. That's the promise of God. It's why he commands us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Like the woman, I wonder if we have an accurate idea of what it is and who it is we worship. Or what exactly happens when we worship in the assembly of the saints. At the very least, we have much to learn and far to grow in terms of our understanding of worship and what it is doing in us, in the church, and in the world. And I promise you, it is accomplishing far more than we realize, so we must remain faithful to it. Worship in spirit and in truth is worship decentralized. But I want to talk to you first about worship centralized. John chapter 4, verse 21. This is what Jesus is referencing when he's talking to the woman. Jesus said to her, John 4, 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. On this mountain, the Samaritans worship God on Mount Gerizim. This was the mountain where the blessing for obedience to the law was affirmed by the children of Israel upon entering the land of promise. When Jesus refers to this mountain, he is referring to the central place of worship for the woman and the Samaritan people. This is what Mount Garrison was. It was their central place of worship. It's where everyone came to to worship. <clears throat> We know through history and archaeology, it's there, the ruins are still there today. There's a temple on top of Mount Gerizim that mirrored the temple that was in Jerusalem. On this mountain was their central place of worship. But Jesus doesn't stop there with the Samaritans. He goes on and he says, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Remember the question, the implied question was... From the woman to Jesus, who is right, Jesus, us Samaritans or you Jews? Do we worship on the mountain or do we worship in Jerusalem? Jesus answered her question. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But he says, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. In Jerusalem, the Jews worshiped God in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the place God chose for his name to dwell forever. Here's an aside for you. In Christ, you are that chosen place right now. For you are the holy Jerusalem being built up in the spirit. Jerusalem is the city of God, the center of worship for Israel, for the Jews. <clears throat> David claimed it as the capital of Israel. It became the location of the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. It became the location of the first and the second temples. Both long destroyed. It is the location where the true temple, the true temple, not a temple made of stone or timber, but the true temple, it's the place where the true temple was torn down and rebuilt and raised up in three days. Jerusalem is the place, the center of worship for God's people, and rightly so, for Yahweh commanded it. But that Jerusalem, geographically located in the Middle East in the nation of Israel, 
became a symbol of bondage for God's people, not a symbol of freedom. So worship for the Samaritans was centralized at Mount Gerizim. Worship for the Jews was centralized in Jerusalem at the temple. But Jesus said something new is coming, something different is coming. Those paradigms of worship are going to be broken and radically changed. John chapter 4, verse 22. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Here's the answer to the question the woman posed to Jesus. Who's right? Us Samaritans or you Jews? And Jesus very plainly says to the woman, you worship what you do not know. Jesus is telling her that her worship is wrong. Jesus Jesus plainly told the woman that Mount Gerizim was, it is the wrong place. Jesus, in his love for her, hear me church, Jesus, in his love for her, did not mind telling her that her worship was wrong. Jesus loves people enough to tell them the truth even when it hurts. It's what we teach our children. Tell the truth even when it hurts. Jesus loves people enough to tell them the truth and we should as well. Loving people enough to tell them the truth is a grace we all need to give And we all need to receive in our lives. Jesus did not ignore the woman's sin of wrong worship, nor did he ignore her sin of fornication. All throughout the Old Testament, when you read the history of the kings of Israel, even when there was a good king, God says he was a good king except that he persisted in the sin of Jeroboam. What was that sin of Jeroboam? The sin of Jeroboam was he made a golden calf on one end of Israel and a golden calf on the other end of Israel so that when coming and going, they would worship at the golden calf because he didn't want them to go to Jerusalem and worship because he was insecure and afraid that they would change their allegiance from him to the king of Judah. So he created golden calves. And every king of Israel, until they were carried away by the Assyrians, who gave us the Samaritans, every king of Israel persisted in that sin. And that's what God called it, the sin of Jeroboam. Wrong worship. Jesus points out the sin of this woman's wrong worship. He also points out the sin of her fornication. Jesus told the woman the truth about her worship, and he told her the truth about her sinful lifestyle. This, too, is God's grace. Notice that Jesus did not commend the woman for her sincere desire to worship God. In other words, he did not avoid offending her and affirm her worship as acceptable, even though it was misguided. This is what we often do. In an effort to avoid offending people, we justify their sinfulness. Jesus never did that. Jesus never minded offending people because Jesus knew the truth that offends you is the same truth that will set you free. So he was more than willing and more than loving to bring an offense so that he could bring the freedom and the deliverance the truth would produce. In his love and grace, he told her the truth and pointed out her sins so that she could be free. The prevailing attitude today in the church is that as long as our worship is sincere, whenever and whatever it may be, God will accept it as long as we mean it. That sounds nice, but it's not how Jesus views worship because worship is too important. It's too important. It's too powerful. He did not then and he does not now. No doubt, our sincerity of heart is extremely important in worship. 
But so is the place and form and expression of our physical worship. These are at the very least equally important. What we do and how we do it as well as why we do what we do matters when we assemble together to corporately worship our God in spirit and truth. In his conversation with the woman, Jesus alludes to the reality that worship as the Samaritans understood it and as the Jews understood it was on the cusp of radically changing. Today, right here, right now, we are worshiping in this radically changed reality. And that is worship decentralized. John chapter 4, verse 23. But the hour is coming and now is. The hour is coming and now is. So this is not something we're still waiting for to happen. It's happened. The hour that it was happening was in the very moment that Jesus was interacting with the woman at the well. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Decentralized worship means we no longer on a mountain in Samaria, and we no longer in a temple in Jerusalem worship the Father. In other words, there is no place of pilgrimage we must travel to, whether it be three times a year, as the Jews were required to do, or one time a year, or once in a lifetime. There is no longer one centralized location for worship on this earth. With the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost, following the ascension of Jesus, worship was decentralized. Pentecost reversed Babel. We often say that, that at Babel, God confused the languages, and at Pentecost, God reversed Babel and, and brought a common language. That's why when the disciples came out of the upper room and they preached the sermon, Peter preached the sermon, it says they came down declaring the wonderful works of God, and everyone from all the 70 nations of the earth gathered there, heard them each in their own language. So Pentecost reversed Babel, not only in terms of our communication, but also in the unity of God's people working to build his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We are made one in Christ, for by one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Now we are working together, building together, we are warring together as we worship together in spirit and truth. In terms of worship, Pentecost and the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit on all flesh, including Gentile flesh, that's what all flesh means, means the place of central worship that had long been the temple in Jerusalem has been decentralized. And to make sure we understand that, God destroyed that temple in 70 AD to eliminate the sure temptation of making that single place central to our worship. He said, I'll just get rid of the temptation for you. I'll just tear the temple down. Now, you're going to have to find the true temple now, and it's not going to be found out of brick and timber somewhere in the Middle East in the city of Jerusalem. That worship, that place of worship has been decentralized now. God destroyed that temple to bring about the decentralization of our worship. And that decentralization of worship was initiated by God, just like the scattering of the nations at Babel was initiated by God. The difference now, listen, this is important, the difference now is that we are not ascending into the heavenlies in rebellion. But we ascend in worshipful submission into the very heavenlies. We ascend there to worship God, not, not in rebellion against God. Through our ascension in worship into the heavenly realm, 
we are inviting his kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, our ascension into the heavenly realm is not that we may stay there, but that we may ascend there and bring the heavenly kingdom and its glory to earth. So as we ascend into the heavenlies in worship, when we descend out of the heavenlies from our worship, we bring the kingdom, we bring the glory with us. This is why Jesus told us to pray, pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And every time we worship, we ascend into that heavenly place, and when we descend, we are bringing the kingdom with us. We are bringing the glory with us. We are bringing his will in heaven to be done right here on earth. This is why we say our worship is warfare. This is why we have prayers in our worship. This is why we have declarations in our worship. It's why we have call and response in our worship. Now, instead of one central temple in Jerusalem, in Christ, your body is called the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Now, God's presence is filling the earth through the temples that are our bodies through each member of Christ's own body. So we all collectively are called the body of Christ. But we are also each called temples of the Holy Spirit. Well, which one is it, Pastor Jeff? Well, it's both. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and collectively we are the body of Christ. Now in Christ, we are being built up into the holy Jerusalem in the heavenly realm. That holy Jerusalem will one day descend to earth, and the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb will be its temple. Let me read that to you from Revelation chapter 21, verse 10. And he came to me, so an angel came to John and carried him away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem. Verse 22, in that holy Jerusalem, John says, but I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Somebody told me recently they got the red heifer They got it in Texas. It's in Israel. They got everything ready to rebuild the temple and start worship again. I said, well, if God allows it, it ain't going to be God they're worshiping. And if God allows it, it's going to be more judgment upon them than it will be anything else. Because God is not and will not be worshiped in some temple rebuilt somewhere in Jerusalem. He will not be. God will not accept animal sacrifices in a temple. I don't care how red that heifer is. He won't do it because the the sacrifice once and for all has already been offered. The blood, the only blood that can take away our sin has already been offered, has already been poured out, has already been sprinkled on the true mercy seat in heaven. Now you are, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are being built up as living stones into a holy habitation, a house of worship for God in the Spirit. This is what our worship means. This is what our worship does. This is why our worship changes us. This is why our worship changes the world. This is why we must be faithful to worship. Our worship in spirit and in truth means the decentralization of worship on earth. This is the worship the Father now requires. This is not a diminishing of worship. It is just the opposite. It is an intensifying, it's an intensifying and a multiplication of worship on earth as it is in heaven. Now in spirit and truth, we are brought up into that heavenly realm, into the holiest, into his presence to worship at his throne. Now we're not going to talk about it today, but as we continue in this series, we're going to talk about 
worship as it was under the old covenant. And if you were a if you were an Israelite worshiping under the old covenant, there are things that you would never see that you are not allowed to see that are instrumental in worship. All of that has been broken. All of that has been shattered. All of that has been changed. And the very things that only one man once a year could see, and he couldn't even see everything that was in there. He could only see the exterior of it. Now we are allowed to come and participate and partake of in intimacy in the very things that God kept hidden, kept put away, even from his high priest who would go in once a year. Now those things are open to us, to be seen by us. Every Lord's Day we come into this building to worship. Anytime you go into an atmosphere of worship, these are things that should be seen as part of our worship. I digress. We'll get there, but not today. The worship of the Father in spirit and in truth is now taking place all over the world. As was pointed out last week, worship in the spirit, worship in spirit and in truth is worshiping in an atmosphere created by the Holy Spirit. That atmosphere is being created all over the world so that the knowledge of the glory of God is filling the earth as worship ascends to heaven as his kingdom comes down to invade and infiltrate our hearts and this earth. The place ordained by the Spirit for our worship of the Father is in Christ the Son. Jesus said, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them, Matthew 18, 20. And wherever his church is assembled, he is there in the midst of them, and that is worship in spirit and in truth. It's not our style of music. It's not so many of the external things or the internal things that we define as worship in spirit and in truth. This is not only a decentralization, but remember it's a multiplication. We worship now in Christ in spirit and truth. Worship takes place throughout His church throughout the earth, and in the heavens. Don't forget the heavens. As we worship on earth, there is worship taking place in heaven. And as we worship on earth, we are brought together with that worship in heaven, and we are worshiping in the very heavenly realms pictured for us in the book of Revelation. Just as Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, Yet you are seated right here in the chairs at Christ Fellowship Church. That does not negate the truth that you are seated with him in heavenly places in Christ. And so your worship right here in this room at Christ Fellowship Church does not negate the reality that we are worshiping in the heavenly realms with a cloud of witnesses more greater than we could ever imagine. When we worship on earth, we ascend to the heavenly realm and we join with the heavenly host worshiping around the throne of God. Our worship on earth is much more than a feel-good experience or a spiritual recharge for us here. We are actually entering into the heavenly realm as we worship the Father in spirit and truth right here on earth. Worship in spirit and truth is worship in our bodies in the body of Christ. It's worship in our bodies. It's not just a mental or a spiritual exercise. It's a physical exercise. The place of our worship now is spirit and truth, Jesus says. When Jesus declared that God is spirit, he was not giving us a description of God's nature or his lack of tangible substance. Jesus was not telling us that God does not have a body. He was describing how God presents himself to us. 
God is spirit. The way we worship him is in spirit and truth. It is in spirit that God presents himself to us, and it is in spirit that we are presented to God. The reality of our worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth does not negate the equally true reality that we are commanded to present our bodies to God in worship. Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. We are not Gnostics. We are Christians. Jesus was born in a body. He lives in a body. He died in a body, and he rose from the dead bodily. And all for a purpose. Now in Christ, we are to present our bodies, these things right here, to God. And Paul says this is our reasonable act of worship. That word service there in your Bible is actually the word worship. It means worship. It's a worship service. It's the service of worship. And so when you read, this is our reasonable act of service, understand what Paul is saying is this is your reasonable worship to God to present your body to him. We present our individual bodies in worship as we worship as the assembled corporate body of Christ. There is no body of Christ without your individual body. There is no assembly of the corporate body of Christ unless our individual bodies assemble together to form that corporate assembly. In fact, the only way we can present our mind and our spirit in worship is to present our body in worship. When we worship the Father, we do not disengage our spirit. We don't disengage our mind from our body. We are to engage our whole spirit our whole soul, our whole body as we worship Him. This is why transcendental meditation is dangerous. We're not to empty our minds. The Bible tells us the exact opposite. We're to fill our minds with what? With His Word. We're to be filled with His Spirit. When you empty your mind, you better watch out because something's going to take possession of it. And if you don't think that's scriptural, go back and read the parable Jesus gave of the man whose house was swept clean and he didn't fill it with anything and it was left empty and the demon that was cast out, that was cleaned out of it, went through dry places, gathered seven more like him and went back to the man, found the house empty and the state of the man the second time was worse than it was the first time. You better fill your mind with something. You better fill it with the truth, with the word of God. We are to engage our whole being in worship. We worship the Father in the Spirit, through the life of Christ the Son, in our physical bodies right here on earth. Our worship as His spiritual body is in Christ in an atmosphere created by the Holy Spirit. Worship in a spirit is a spiritual experience, but it is equally physical. We are to engage all of our senses in worshiping God, all of our heart, all of our mind, and all of our body. This is why we stand, we sit, we kneel, we sing, we pray, we respond by lifting our hearts, lifting our hands, and lifting our heads to the Lord. Worship should evoke a spiritual, an emotional, as well as a physical response. Worship changes us as it is changing the world. When we worship God in spirit and truth, that is exactly what our worship is doing. It is creating change and bringing transformation in you and in the world around you. And in those around you, as you are being transformed, we are seeing the transformation of one another through our worship. That's why the things, 
That's why the testimony we had today is so important. This is part of our worship. This is what it means to assemble as the body. This is what it means to worship God. This is what it means to present ourselves a living sacrifice to God. Our worship is intensely personal, but never apart from being intensely corporate. God commands that we are to engage in true spiritual worship as we assemble together on the Lord's day. And the book of Hebrews is a book about worship, and in it, God commands us concerning worship. He uses the pattern of worship under the Old Covenant to teach us the reality of worship in the New Covenant. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, you can go and read that later, Paul gives us a context of worship. And in the context of these verses, in the book of Hebrews, we see a picture of worship. And it pictures for us Jesus as our high priest who has made a new and living way for us to come boldly into the holiest. That is the place of his very presence. And we enter that place with full assurance by the blood of Jesus. The imagery here is that of the high priest on the day of atonement, making his annual journey into the Holy of Holies to sprinkle the blood of sacrifice on the mercy seat. Now in Christ and by his blood, we, in our worship, we ourselves, not, not a high priest, but we ourselves draw near into the very holy of holies with full assurance of faith, having our own hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Notice, we draw near to him with both our hearts and our bodies. In the context here, we see that worship is not just a personal, spiritual, mental, and emotional exercise. Worship is also necessarily a corporate, spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical exercise. Worship involves both our hearts and our bodies. And here in these verses in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, the command linked to our corporate worship is twofold. First, it is the command to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And when we assemble together in worship, we prove the confession of our hope through our obedience to assemble. In other words, assembling for worship is putting your heart, your mind, and your body where the confession of your mouth is. We can say lots of things with our mouth, but what we do with our body is actually <laughs> the proof of what we actually believe, who we actually trust, what we are actually worshiping. Second is the command for us to consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. This is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. We can't accomplish that. We cannot obey that commandment if we forsake the assembling of ourselves together. The command is for us to carefully, this is what it means to consider, it means to carefully, closely consider one another to stir up love in good works. This is not consideration from a distance. This is not consideration from a smartphone. This is up close and personal. This is face to face. This is what you can only accomplish by actually assembling together. And we cannot accomplish that if we forsake the assembling of ourselves together. The command is for us to carefully and closely consider one another in order to stir up love and good works as we regularly, faithfully assemble together for worship. We cannot truly hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, nor can we carefully and closely consider one another if we are infrequently in the company of one another. Thus, we are commanded to assemble together as his body. This is what a body is. It is an assembly of many members making one whole, 
to function together and to supply life to one another. When God commands us to not forsake assembling together, it is for our own good. It is for our life. It is for our very life. This verse goes on to command us to exhort one another or to encourage and console one another. Again, we cannot do this as commanded apart from the personal connection and interaction of being members of an assembled body. The practical aspect of considering one another in order to stir up love and good works is a reason we assemble together, but there is more to our assembling and more to our worship than the practical aspect of encouraging one another, helping one another, walking with one another. Those are vitally important for us as believers. But there's more. And this part of our discussion of worship talking about these practical things of this personal interaction. We are preparing to ascend from the earthly sanctuary into the heavenly to worship in the presence of so great a cloud of witnesses. And when we assemble in worship in spirit and truth, we ascend into the heavenly realm, to the very throne of God. And this is why the writer of Hebrews speaks of coming to Mount Zion into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. This is what we do when we come together to worship. Therefore, the command concerning worship is that we not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but exhort one another, and so much more as we see the day approaching. Worship in spirit and truth is not occasional worship, but consistent faithful, committed worship in an atmosphere created by the Holy Spirit. Now in Christ, we boldly enter the holiest place of His presence by a new and living way, by the blood of Jesus. Now we may come with assurance to the very throne of glory and grace, Not because we have cleansed ourselves, but because we have been cleansed by Him, by His blood. So as we worship in spirit and truth, we ascend and we come to Mount Zion. We come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. In that place, we are being changed As we worship, we are being changed. And that change is not based on how you feel. It's based on what God has declared in his word. It's based on the work of his spirit that has ushered you in that place of spirit and truth. You are being changed even as the world is being changed. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. I invite you now to get ready to come to the Lord's table. This is part of our worship. This is part of remembering what Christ did for us when he died for us. What Christ accomplished for us. What Christ enables us to continue accomplishing in our worship as we worship him in spirit and in truth. Be reminded that it is The body broken for you that has bought your peace and it is the blood poured out for you that has cleansed you and purified you no matter how spotted we all were. Christian, trust Jesus. All of you here, Christian or not, I don't know, I can't see your heart. I don't know your heart, only God does. But the command is to trust Jesus. Believe Jesus. Worship God in spirit and in truth. So welcome to the table and welcome to Jesus. Please stand for your charge. Your charge today is to press through the reasons that keep you from assembling together to worship the Father in spirit and truth. Your worship is more powerful, more transforming, and more effective than you know. 
In this world and this world system, we are conditioned and trained to live by our feelings. It is why marketers work so hard to identify the images and words and even the sounds that will trigger our emotion and override our rational brain so that we react impulsively and follow our emotion down the rabbit hole, even to our financial, physical, and spiritual harm. The Bible calls that sin. We are easily distracted and dissuaded. Our assembling in worship is an effective remedy for our conforming to this world. The scripture commands us to walk by faith, not by sight. Worship in spirit and truth is one of the ways we are trained and transformed to walk circumspectly as wise, not impulsively. In our worship, we are commanded to present our bodies to God as living sacrifices. We do this so that we are not presenting our bodies to sin, but to the God, to our God in worship, in spirit and truth. No longer being conformed to this world, but being transformed as our minds are being renewed. Our worship is transforming us. And it is transforming the world. Don't stop. Keep assembling together. Keep worshiping the Father in spirit and truth. Keep transforming your own life and keep transforming the world. Keep worshiping. It is causing His kingdom to come. It is causing His will to be done on earth even as it is in heaven. Don't believe that because your eyes tell you so. Believe that because his word and his spirit has told you so. Amen. Let's sing our thanks to God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. Have a great day. Men, I hope to see you all tonight here at the Trip Center.